All right. If you want to turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 5, we have been working our way through the book of Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, and so we are in the end of chapter 5. I was trying to decide whether or not to to do the beginning of chapter 6, but um, some people say, most people will say that chapter 6, the first um, eight verses or the first 12 verses of chapter 6 are the hardest to interpret in all of the book of Hebrews. And some people would even say it's, some of the, it's one of the hardest passages, if not the hardest passage in the New Testament to interpret. So I figured I'll just try to leave most of that for next week. But this week and next week will then go together. What happens at the end of chapter 5 in the book of Hebrews, it makes a difference in how you interpret chapter 6. And so I want you to make sure and go into today and next week when you come back, to realize that what we're saying today affects how we study and interpret chapter 6. Um, a question as we start, what, what keeps you from maturing? What keeps you from maturing in your faith? What keeps you from maturing in life in general? What keeps you from maturing as just a human who's growing? We've got many kids here and still students. But of course, the, the main thing that I want to look at is what keeps us from maturing in our faith? I mean, I mean so think about it. What, is, what has kept you? What's kept you from maturing in your faith to this point in your life, this point in your walk with the Lord? Yeah, this is, you know... Um, that was actually meant to be, you know, it, it could be rhetorical or it could be you would answer. Um, yeah, sin. I, at the end of the day, that's what keeps us from maturing is our love for sin, our, our comfort with sin. Let's read, let's read our passage here in Hebrews chapter 5 and, and look at the state of the audience of this letter as the author puts it. Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 11, we'll read through verse 14. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. As we've gone through the book of Hebrews so far, we have mentioned a couple times the idea of hearing and understanding, the idea of hearing and seeing and understanding. This is something we went through several months ago when we were looking through the first several chapters of the book of Isaiah. There is an importance put on in the Word of God on seeing and hearing and understanding. We even see Jesus quote such things in His ministry. And so here again, we have, as we start in verse 11, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain. And why is it hard to explain? Because His audience has become dull of hearing. Now, this is not a great thing. But I want to see overall, as we look at this passage, and as we look at the warning passages in the book of Hebrews, because there are several of them, we've already looked at a couple of them, and we're going to look back here at the beginning of chapter 2 and see one of the first ones. 
But as he warns his audience, notice how kind and gentle he is. This is a difficult thing to do as a leader sometimes. To be kind and gentle towards those who aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing, who aren't living the way that they're supposed to be living, who aren't going along with what they're supposed to be going along with. They're not being the greatest examples. They're not being the greatest witnesses. They're not being the greatest students. And so as a teacher, isn't it easy for many of us, I know it's easy for myself, if I've said something and I've said something again and then I've said something again and it's the same thing those three times and they're still not listening, I mean, at, some, at a certain point you're going to get frustrated, right? And, and you might start to begin to say things like, why aren't you listening yet? You're a bunch of doofuses who, you know, just aren't paying any attention. Like, what, what's wrong with you? But notice the kindness that this author has toward his audience. Uh, he doesn't say, you're, you're too stupid, you know, like, you just can't get it, what's wrong with you? But he says, look, you have, you have much to learn, and, and this is where you ought to be, but let me see what I can do to continue to persuade you, to continue to convince you, to continue to point to you Christ and how important this walk with Him is. About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Look at chapter 2 there in Hebrews. We'll read the first four verses. And, and see here again the idea of hearing. Chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. You get a similar idea here? Pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. You see in there several times, it was attested to us, hearing. It is important that we listen to and then understand to the point of obedience what God's Word has to say to us. Otherwise, all we're doing is becoming callous to those truths. And if we become callous to the truths that we're hearing, then we no longer become able vessels that God wants to use, that God can use, that God chooses to use for His purposes. There are many things we can say about that, but we'll continue on because it's the whole same and similar idea. Now, what's the point of our walk? What is the goal in our walk and our faith? It is to become mature. And mature to the point of being able to be a teacher. Look at verse 12 in our text in, in chapter 5. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. Now that's, you know, again I was saying he's showing some kindness toward them, but I mean there's, there's a bit of a, a crisp edge to it also. Because this is a serious matter. Um, for whatever reason, uh, some of us have decided to bring in new family members into the house. 
which are of the canine variety, and you notice how you have to train them and how they start off eating, you know, well, they start off with the mother's milk or, you know, if the mother's out of the way, then you've got to bottle feed them or even just with an actual child. Many of us have experienced these things where you have to give them what they are able to digest so that they are able to process it properly. They're able to get the nutrients that they need at that certain time of their development. And so as a baby, you can only get the most simple of things in the most simplest of forms. And then you start to add in more and more, you know, to where they can become integrated into a solid food and they can start eating with you and the same thing. And then, you know, it's the battle of, well, I don't like vegetables or I don't like this. And, you know, that's a whole other story. But um, I think we all understand what he's saying here. But the problem is, we're talking about the truths of the Word of God. We're not talking about literal food. We're talking about, do we understand our faith? How well do we understand our faith? In Ephesians chapter 4, if you want to turn there, you can. I'm going to read a few verses. In Ephesians chapter 4, we have for us described the point of having leaders and teachers for us. Why do we have leaders and teachers? What are they supposed to do? Are they just supposed to lead and teach so that they look good, so that they stand in front of people and they show themselves to be awesome and wonderful and smart? No, they're supposed to equip each other. They're supposed to equip all of us, the regular people in the room. Look at verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 4. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Who are the saints? They're they're not Mother Teresa. They're not St. Francis of Assisi. They're they're not all of these people who have been, you know, given sainthood by the Catholic Church or by some other organization. If you are a Christian, you are a saint. If you are a believer, you are a child of God. You are who he is talking about here. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, not so that they can do all, so that the leaders can do all the ministry and that the people can just watch and awe and say, oh, look at how awesome those leaders are. No. The point is so that all of us, everyone in the room, can do the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. What's the body of Christ? Well, it's each other. So we're equipping each other to serve one another. That's why we read the book we did last month, side by side. How can we better our relationships with one another? Because it's important. It's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to build each other up in Christ. And so we care about each other's concerns. We care about each other's needs. We care about each other's successes. We spend our lives in others' lives so that they can be ministered to in a way that Christ would have ministered to them. But He has given us to be the hands and the feet. So that we can serve, so that we can do the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. And notice what he says here in verses 13 and 14. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning 
by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We go back to our question. What keeps you from becoming mature in your faith? Well, there is an enemy, as Robbie prayed about, there is an enemy who is out against us, who is actively trying to keep us from becoming mature. Now, as a child, as an infant, they are under the care of the mother and father. And you nurture that little prized possession. And there aren't many things that are working against it, like actively, physically. But then there are, you know, we've got a lot of medical professionals here. There are diseases floating around in the air. There are things that are, you know, under the radar, trying to see what they can do to just be a menace for that child. I mean, we've got to give them shots. Why do I have to give them shots? Well, because there are things that we don't want them to get. There are, there are things that are working against us, and there is a devil who is actively seeking our defeat, who is actively seeking our lack of function in the body of Christ, our lack of equipping each other, our lack of maturing. And so we must recognize it's a constant thing that Paul talks about himself, as we saw there in Ephesians chapter 4. And it's a similar thing that this author in Hebrews is telling us. We've got to be careful because there are things that are actively working against us to become mature. And one of those things is just our own hearts. Our own hearts are deceitful. Our hearts are deceitfully wicked. Jeremiah 17.9 is a great verse to remind ourselves of how much we can deceive our own selves. But then there's, there are forces outside of us that are deceiving us, that are teaching us it's okay to just stay how you are. It's okay to just, you know what you know, and that's enough. You don't need anything else. You don't need to grow in your faith. You can just kind of stay there in the kiddie pool, you know, splashing around in your feet, but never actually getting your whole body wet, never actually being able to swim, never being able to go underwater and open your eyes and, and see what's going on with all the fish and stuff. Just kind of, you know, there at the shallow end. So what we're supposed to do what I'm supposed to do as, as a pastor, as a leader, as a teacher, is not just to teach you, but to teach you to teach. To teach you to the point where you can lead and teach other people. That is what we are all about as a church. And that is a lot of what is missing in a lot of churches, is the expectation from the leadership that the regular people in the pews, and I'm just a regular person too, so don't look at me like I'm some awesome person who knows way more than everyone else and has all of the answers to everything in the world. But I have spent time training myself and being trained so that I can know these things, but not just so that it ends on me, but so that I can teach you to the point where you can teach other people. Otherwise, I've done myself a disservice. I've not really truly actually learned what it is I was supposed to have learned. And I'm not really doing what I'm really supposed to be doing. And so then I want to do what I can to, to some extent to pass the book off onto you. Now, not to say, well, you know, I, I've done my job and I've got nothing else to do with it. But, but no, I want to be like this author 
I, I want to be a, a man who is kind and considerate and compassionate because that's what the Lord has been to me. That's what this author has been to his audience, where it says, if you're not where you should be, okay, let's just realize that that's where you are. But you have to admit that that's where you are, and you have to admit and convince your mind and your heart that it's not okay to stay there. And there's only so much that I can do to, to convince you of that. I have to pray that God would open up your eyes and open up your ears so that even though at certain points we've all, myself included, have become dull of hearing in certain regards, that He would take away that wax that's been built up in our ear that's keeping us from really hearing. That He would open up the scales that have fallen on our eyes so that we could truly see to the point of understanding and understanding to the point of being able to teach, being able to lead, being able to share the gospel with one another, to encourage one another in our faith. This is what this author wants for his audience. This is what I want for each of us. Look as he continues to talk. He says, you need milk, not solid food. Verse 13, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So a few phrases here to look at, especially in verse 14. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment. Their powers of discernment. If some of you, maybe if you've grown up in church, you have memorized Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, keep listening here in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I'm going to read verse 2 again. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The Bible is a big book. There are a lot of chapters. There are a lot of books. There are a lot of verses. And sometimes from the outset, we can think, there's too much here for me to ever be able to understand fully so that I can do anything useful with it. We can sell ourselves short, and especially whenever we consider it's so gigantic in its breadth and depth, that then I also realized that this was written, much of it, to an audience 2,000, 3,000, 3,500 years ago. And that it doesn't tell me exactly what I'm supposed to do in 2019 on Cinco de Mayo... Like, like how, how does this relate to me now? Like, he's not talking about what am I supposed to do about all of this technology that I now have, where there's the internet, and there's a cell phone that I am addicted to, and there's a TV and all of these sports that I can have at my fingertips at every second of the day, where I can watch all of these movies all the time and rewatch them because they're funny and I like them, and they're entertaining, where I can spend all of my time doing all of these things and all of these opportunities in front of me what am I supposed to do specifically in this instance, in that instance? Am I supposed to watch, is it okay to watch two hours of TV a day? Is it, 
Is it okay for me to spend my time reading this book? Is it okay for me to watch that movie? These are powers of discernment that we get by training our minds to understand the will of God, by testing what is good, what actually produces good fruit. And so this life is difficult. I hope that I never come across to you when I have the opportunity to teach that anything that I say here is simple. That anything I say here is easy. Now there is a simplicity to it. There is an ease to it, but, but we are up against forces that I'm not sure we ever really spend the time understanding what it is that we have been brought up into in our own hearts, what we've been deceived by already. I mean, you're not deceived if you understand what it is that they're trying to do to you. That's not deception anymore, right? I mean, if you see what someone's trying to do to you to get you to come over to the other side, to the other team, you recognize that and you're no longer deceived, right? But deception by default, by nature, by its definition is one where you don't really recognize what's coming at you. You don't recognize the error of your ways that you're falling into. That's what it means to be deceived. And so if we don't recognize that we are up against forces that want to keep us staying deceived, then we are failing to prepare ourselves to actually begin to fight the battle properly. And all of this, uh, I've talked a lot about the negative, and we've talked in the first five chapters of Hebrews about a lot of the positive. We've looked at Christ over and over again because that's what he does. He looks at Christ, and so we don't just look at the negative and study the negative, but yes, that's good because you have to distinguish what is evil. So that means you have to know what's evil, but you also have to know what is good. And that's how he ends there, verse 14 in our text. Our powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. We have to know what's bad, but we also have to know what's good. And that's what's so great about the chapters we've already looked at in the book of Hebrews. We can see how good God has been to us in Christ. We can see what He has done for us. We can see who He is. And we know that He cares for us. I say it just about every week, and I'll probably say it just about every week as long as my brain allows me to. But our God is a God who is gracious and merciful, as we say here, mercious. Because sometimes we combine our words. That's what we do. And some of us are from, from Texas, and so we make up words. But our God is mercious. He's gracious and merciful. He's abounding in steadfast love. He's slow to anger. Right? And that's some of the picture that we get here where this author is trying to be this, he's trying to be slow to be angry. He's trying to be patient with his people. He's trying to be compassionate because he himself knows the errors of his own ways. And he's talked about, we looked at the earlier half of chapter 5, and we see how there were high priests, these people who were appointed by God to act on behalf of the people, but they had sinned themselves. They had to sacrifice themselves to God for their own sin because they were sinners. They, and, and so they should be able to show some sort of sympathy and compassion towards the people who they're representing because they themselves are the same way. They just have a special role, but they're not any more special just 
because they're humans. And so never look at a leader and put more on him than is deserved. Recognize who he is. Recognize who she is. Put your hope on Christ because that is who has been perfect. That he is our high priest who has been without sin. But yet, as coming as a man, knows and understands our weaknesses. He was tempted to the point where none of us else could go to the fullest extent because usually we'd break down. We would sin before we got to the furthest point of temptation that it could possibly go, but he went that full extent without ever having sin, and he has, he has overcome all of that. And now he sits at God's right hand as our great high priest, the one who has no beginning and has no end because he has always been, yet he still understands us. And we can come to him and he is ready and willing, like a father who cares for his child, like a brother who cares about his siblings, to help us to understand what it is to be Christians, to be Christians who, who learn right from wrong. Look there again in verse 14, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice. This is going to take work, is what this author has said and is saying to us. This is going to take work. If you want to flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I'm going to read a passage here. And again, I want you to realize that some of what we're doing here is setting up for next week, because there's a lot to be said next week in the beginning of chapter 6. But I want us to see how what Paul does here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is so similar to what our author has been doing already in the first five chapters of the book of Hebrews. And if you've been to any of our sermons as we've looked over the last couple months through the book of Hebrews, I think you will recognize some similarities here. But where we're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 is right where we are in our text this morning. And so look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, just a quick note. Is Paul saying that he's going to be disqualified from being a Christian? Is Paul saying that he's going to be disqualified from serving God in any capacity? No, there are rewards that are available to us as Christians. There are opportunities that are available to us as Christians when we are faithful to God. And after a certain period of time, we've looked at this in, in the book of Hebrews so far, and we're going to see it again, which is why it's so interesting how you look at the beginning of chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians and how it's so similar to the message that we have been encountering and that we're still encountering today, this morning, in Hebrews, where when you look back at the wilderness generation 
in the Old Testament. And you see in Numbers chapter 14, it is explicitly said that after all of... Okay, now, just a quick history lesson here. God brought His people out of Egypt through miracles and signs and wonders. It was clear that God was the one doing this who was bringing His people out of slavery. And He brought them and He had them walk through dry land in the Red Sea over to go into the Promised Land. Now, they didn't go into the promised land yet, but what they did is they sent spies into the promised land to scout it out, to say, you know, what's there? What are we looking forward to exactly? What's it look like? Is this going to be easy? Is it going to be hard? And so there were 12 spies, one from each of the tribes of Israel that went. And only two of the 12 spies actually came back with a fully positive report. The other 10 came back with a partially positive report, but they ended and maintained the negativity of there are giants living in the land and we're like grasshoppers to them and there's no way that we can defeat them. And if we go into the promised land, we're just going to die because we have no hope. But the other two spies, they said, we have God with us and that's all that we need. And look at this land flowing with milk and honey that has these gigantic grapes that it takes two guys to carry back. There's so much here. This land is everything that God has said it would be for us. But those 10 other spies said, we have no hope, we have no chance. It's better for us just to go back to Egypt. And what happened was those 10 spies led the bulk of the people of Israel to believe their report, the negative report that says, we have no chance, we have no hope. Let's just go back to where we came from, a life of slavery and nothingness. And so the people of God... They went against God himself. They believed this negative report. And what happened next was God judged them. And he said, fine, you are not going to enter the promised land. But he still forgave them. And, and so I encourage you to look at Numbers 14. We did several weeks ago. But look at Numbers 14 and how they lose the opportunity for reward in the moment but they still remained God's people. You can be a Christian and you can be exactly who our author in the book of Hebrews is talking about at the end of chapter 5. You can be a person who stays on milk your entire life and you can be a Christian. And that's really hard for me to say because I don't want it to be that way because I think it should require more. But if I were to require more, then that would mean that I'm requiring more than the grace of God given to each of us that's available to each of us. And so I want to teach what it is that God has clearly given to us as truth. And what He has said in the Old Testament and what He says again in the New Testament is, you can be His people and you can just be an infant in faith and useless basically for any good works for Him. But He has created us for good works, which He prepared beforehand for us to walk in. We have been saved by grace through faith. And this should mean something for our lives. We should then walk in the good works that He's prepared for us. That's Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, basically. But what happened in the Old Testament, in Numbers 14, was they 
didn't believe God. They believed the lies that were brought back by the ten spies. And so they fell in the wilderness. Now, now listen, this is what he describes here in 1 Corinthians 10, if you're still there. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. For I want you to know, brothers... Okay, no, okay, I do this sometimes. Remember what we just read in 1 Corinthians 9, how Paul's talking about, I discipline my body. I train my body so that I will be found faithful. I will be found as one who is useful for God. I will have trained my body for a purpose so that I can be used, so that I can preach. And so that when I'm done preaching... God will say, well done, good and faithful servant, the one who has served me. All right, chapter 10, verse 1. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, notice how he flows in from chapter 9 into chapter 10, how he is talking about, I discipline my body so that I can understand what is right and what is wrong, so that I discipline myself so that I am accomplishing the purposes for which he has put me on this earth to accomplish. And then he gives an example and says, look at what happened in the Old Testament, how these people, how they failed miserably. They failed in this way, and they failed in this way, and they failed in this way, as some of them did in this regard, as some of them did in that regard, as some of the other ones did in this other regard. There are many ways that we can fail in our walk. And Paul's concern in 1 Corinthians is that his audience would not fall prey to the same deception that the people in the Old Testament did. We have God's word as an example for us, as instruction for us, so that we can know as we study his word, what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is not good. This is why we look at God's word every week. This is why we read God's word every week. Because God's word is what will help us to become trained in the word of righteousness. Otherwise, we're just figuring out all on our own what it is and what's good and what's evil. He's not given us the obligation to figure all of these things out on our own. Now, I said before, it can be difficult because initially we look at how big and immense the Bible is and we say, there's no way I can ever understand this. And maybe sometimes we also look at the fact that this was written to a different audience 
however long ago, and there's no way for us to be able to understand it now. We can be easily drawn into a place of apathy. We can easily be drawn into a place where there's just no hope for us to be able to accomplish what it seems like God has put for us to accomplish. But God has given us His Spirit. It's one of the reasons we're doing that book that we're doing this month. To understand what it is that the Spirit's job is, what the Spirit does for us as He comes to live within us as believers. And then it's why He's given us His Word so that we can know what His will truly is. We can know what has been right and what has been wrong in the past. And so then, in understanding that well, apply it to our present-day circumstances and situations. And this sometimes is not easy. Sometimes it's not simple. It takes training. It takes work. It takes us actually putting in the effort. Now, I really didn't do many sports past the time of middle school. And I think part of the reason for that is because once you start getting past like the little league type age, you actually really have to start working in different ways where your natural abilities will only carry you so far. And then at a certain point, you've got to actually step out there and start learning new things. Right? I mean, some of us have experienced this as students. Right? I mean, when you've gone to school, you know, maybe high school was easy for you and you stepped into college and you're like, whoa, hey, this is a whole different level. I mean, I remember feeling that, you know, <laughs> like, whoa, 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 you are requiring a lot more from me than I've ever had to give before. And you've got to consciously make the decision and choice week after week to study, to realize I don't just naturally know these things anymore. I've got to actually read, and I've got to memorize, and I've got to look and say, I don't understand this, and then figure out a way to understand it. We cannot be so naive as to think that all we need and all that we have is found in the beginnings of the foundation that is laid for us and the grace that we've received in Jesus Christ. We have to build on that foundation. 1 Corinthians 3, we're going to look at next week. I'd encourage you to look at it before we look at it next week. But it talks about how we are going to do a work on the foundation that's laid. And sometimes that work is going to be burned up because it's going to be useless. It's not going to be worth anything. That's what Paul was talking about in chapter 9 in 1 Corinthians. And that's where I want us, as far as it depends on me, as far as it depends on each of us together, to train ourselves to build each other up and to do the work that's necessary so that we can distinguish good from evil, so that we can discern properly what the will of God is for each of us. And so I'm going to go ahead and mention it as we close and, and get ready to pray. One of, the, one of the ways that I intend to do that as a pastor, as a leader, is to 
give the opportunity and to some extent the expectation for those that I know, for those that I see much potential in, for those who have a desire to grow, to give them opportunities explicitly, specifically for the purpose of growing in their understanding of how to know God's Word well. Because this literature is different than most anything else that we read during the week. And so it takes work to train ourselves to understand how to properly interpret it and apply it. And so one of the things that I'm going to do in two weeks is we're going to start going through this book. Um, and I'm initially, I'm just going to run through it with guys. And it's not because I'm opposed to ladies. I'll probably do the same thing with ladies later this year. But this book is called How to Understand and Apply the New Testament. It looks like a thick book. It is a thick book. It's not as thick as the Old Testament one. <laughs> but this is a wonderful guide in how to understand and apply the New Testament. This is a great book that gives you the things that you need to know in order to be able to understand and apply God's Word as given to us in the New Testament. It tells you all the different ways of theology, systematic theology, historical theology, biblical theology. But it also talks about how many times God's Word is misrepresented, how the point of a passage is not given. And so we can see how not to do things sometimes, but what this does mainly is teaches us how to do it properly well. And so we're going to go through this in a couple weeks, and we're going to do it on Sunday nights. We're going to do it from 4.30 to 6. We're going to do it out here in the building to my left and to your right where the kids meet uh, during the sermon. And so this is your opportunity right now. I will order you this book if you will commit to going through it with us. And we're going to spend six weeks going through it. it. There are 12 chapters in the book. We might skip a couple chapters. But there are 12 chapters in the book, and we're going to spend basically a couple chapters a week going through it so that it doesn't drag on, but we can actually put our feet to the floor and start to walk and to run and understanding God's Word. So I want to make this available to you. And this is your invitation to join me in doing it. Because I want to teach you to do this. And sometimes it takes specific blocks of time during the week where you're reading something that you're not used to reading, where you're talking about stuff that you're not used to talking about, so that you yourself can understand God's Word and interpret it yourself and then apply it yourself to the point where you're not who we're talking about in Hebrews chapter 5, where though by this time you ought to be teachers, so that in a year's time, in two years' time, I'm not sitting up here going through the same text and seeing people in the exact same spiritual condition as they are right now. Because if that's where you have been, where you have kind of plateaued in your faith for a period of time, and you've stayed there, I don't want to allow that to continue as far as it depends on me. But you've got to make a commitment to train yourself. And I'm making a commitment 
to do what I can to train you as much as I can, to teach you as much as I can. And that's going to require more than you sitting for 30 or 45 minutes listening to me talk and blabber on on a Sunday morning. It's going to take practice on Sunday nights. It's going to take reading during the week. And this isn't just once you finish this book, all of a sudden, oh, I'm like, you know, I'm an expert in everything and I don't need to learn anymore. Okay, now don't get that idea. But this is a great starting point. This is a great starting point if you have any inclination to learn more, to understand God better. There are not many things in this world that will do you more good. There is not anything in this world that will do you more good than to know God rightly, than to really and truly understand Him. And to really and truly understand Him, we have to understand how He has revealed Himself to us. And He has revealed Himself to us in His Word. And so, will you join me in doing that? Will you join me in training ourselves to by constant practice distinguish good from evil, to learn His Word. I pray that you will. And this isn't, I hope that this isn't the only application that you get from this sermon this morning, but this is a particular and specific one for us as a church that we have for ourselves in this moment of time. As we approach coming up on a year next month of existing, I want us to grow and so that by this time next year, we have so many of us who are trained in God's Word that we are able to be sent out to do God's work here in Abingdon, but then elsewhere also. That's who we are as a church. And I pray that that's who you commit yourself to be as a Christian, as we follow Christ together, as we grow in Him together. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And I pray that you would keep us from from being dull of hearing, that you would help us to see clearly. God, we need your spirit to open our eyes in ways that we've been deceived so that we would train ourselves to know what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's evil. God, your spirit is the one who accomplishes this work in our hearts. And so open our hearts to be willing to train ourselves, to allow you to speak truth into our hearts and our minds. God, would you do this? We need you to do this. We're asking that you would do this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.